Well, thank you to our band, and thank you all for being with us today. We are in part two of a two-part series that we are calling the Jesus Movement. And the Jesus Movement is another way to describe what the church is, at least what the church is supposed to be. The church is the movement that Jesus Christ started. It is the movement of Jesus in this world. And that movement has been going on for many, many years, and that Jesus Movement exists to this day. And so in this series, we're taking a look at what church was supposed to be, and we're comparing it to what church has become. We started out last week looking in the book of Acts chapter 2, seeing how this movement began. In Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of the church movement, the Jesus movement, but we also see the creation of the first ever local church. So the church with the capital C begins in Acts, Acts 2, and the church with the lowercase c, the local church, begins in Acts 2 as well. And so what we're doing here is we're looking at the differences between our modern approach to church and the ancient original approach to church. And if you look at the book of Acts, if you read through the book of Acts, and by the way, I recommend that you do, if you read the book of Acts, you'll realize that there are some things we do today in our modern church, and our modern churches, that look very similar to what we see in the book of Acts. And then you'll notice there are some other things that are very, very different, that our modern approach to being a church is a lot different than what we see in the book of Acts. And so I believe it's important to go back to the source, go back to the book of Acts to really see what this whole thing was supposed to be about. So last week we had a fun conversation about repentance, right? Wasn't that fun last week? We talked about repentance. And we saw how important that was. This was a primary thing, an essential thing in the first church ever. Now here's Peter and he's giving this, this very challenging sermon, right? A very convicting sermon. He's there and he's speaking to the Jews and so many of them were responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. They were the ones that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. They thought Jesus was a blasphemer and a liar and a fraud and they had him crucified. And Peter says, guess what guys? You made a mistake. A big one. You guys were wrong. That was the son of God and you put him on a cross. You nailed him on a cross. You had him crucified. You had him killed. And so that was a tough message. And so they were pierced to the heart when the people heard this. Not all, but some. When the people heard this, they were pierced to their hearts, and they said, what, was, what, what must we do? And Peter said, you must repent. Repent. Repentance. The ongoing process of transformation. Repentance. Think of it that way. An ongoing process of transformation. It's not about being sorry. It's not about feeling bad for the bad things that you do. It's not about feeling shameful or guilty for the things that you do that you know are outside of God's will. No, repentance is a transformation process, and it's so important. I don't know, just one man's opinion, but I feel like so many of our churches have lost sight of how important repentance is. We are supposed to be works in progress. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we grow in our understanding of what God has called us to and the life that God has called us to, and as we realize we need to make some changes, we make those changes. Jesus spoke about this. He talked about being born again. Have you heard this terminology? Born again. Peter used the same terminology, being born again. Peter, or Paul talks about this as well, this, this conforming process that happens. We are being reshaped into the image of Jesus. Paul talks about the old self dying, and you become something new. In Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. And so this is essential to what it means to be followers of Jesus. This is essential to what it means to be the church. There is repentance. Repentance. I could preach that sermon again today, but we covered that last week. But it's important to repent. If you realize something's going on in your life, and this is not what God has for you, this is not God's ideal, then leave that way of life and take on a new life. Take on a new identity. And so today, again, we'll look back to the book of Acts chapter 2 and see another way 
which the original church looks a little bit different from our modern approach to church. As we've been announcing for the past several weeks, probably months now, uh, we are about to celebrate our 10th anniversary as a church. And so we're looking forward to that time of celebration. You only turn 10 once. And uh, since we're reaching this milestone, it's made me a little bit reminiscent, thinking back to the old days, thinking back to year one or even before year one. And there was something that was very important to me as the, as the church planter, or as the, the founding pastor. That's a fun title, founding pastor, right? I always feel like I need a powdered wig and like a waistcoat to be the founding pastor, right? It doesn't sound, anyway, but um, going back and thinking about those days and what it was like to start out this church and uh, just some of the obstacles that we were up against. And one thing that was very important to me is that we wanted to speak into some of the misconceptions that exist about church in our community because there are a lot of perceptions about church in our community that just don't line up with what church is supposed to be. Have you experienced this? People in your lives? I mean, those of you who are intentional about reaching out to people in your life and, and sharing Jesus with them and serving and loving and supporting, and when you extend that invitation to church, what kind of response do you get? Well, some people are very cynical about church. Some people have this impression of church that it's something negative, that it's something bad. And so we as a church starting out, we wanted to be able to speak into that and speak against that and show people what church is really supposed to be about. I mean, what are the misconceptions that exist? I'll give you a big one. The churches are just after your, hey, you guys knew it already. How about that? They're just after your money. Churches are after your money. Why are you inviting me to church? Why should I come check out your church? Churches are just after your money. We have a reputation of being takers. Churches just take, they take, they take, they take. And so why? Why do churches have that reputation? Because we've earned it, unfortunately. I mean, hopefully not our church, but overall, throughout the past 2,000 years, there have been church leaders and pastors and televangelist types that have been after your money, been after people's money. I think of the guy on TV late at night. You turn on that channel. You can buy a prayer cloth from him, right? Send me $20, I'll send you a cloth that I prayed over, and then you will be healed of all your illnesses. Are you kidding me? Praying on the desperate, right? So there have been plenty of examples over the years of churches being takers. It's like, well, we can't be takers. The same month that we started as a church, another church started, right? Another church plant started. How fantastic. God's doing something in this community. Multiple churches are planting. God's after the people here. Fantastic. So another church starts in our community. And I found out about this church because they were always... Felt like always having yard sales, garage sales, come and buy our stuff, come and buy our stuff, come and buy our stuff. So I made some inquiries. Well, what are you raising money for? What was the answer? Ministry. Ministry. What does that mean? Now listen, I'm a practical person. I understand that it takes money to run a church. It absolutely does. I was like, ooh, I'm not sure that that's the best approach for a new church, right? To be going out there and try to sell stuff to the community. Like, are we asking the community to support us financially? Is that how it should work? See, this is how we get the reputation of being takers. That's not how it should work. See, the people who make up the church, right? The members of the church, the members of the body, we are the ones that carry the financial burden of the ministry, right? Isn't that how it should work? Do you disagree? Isn't that? Like, we are the, we're the members, we're the ones, and we, should, we shouldn't go outside of the community asking them to support us. We should be supporting them. So we can't be takers. We need to be givers, so that's one word that I've kept in my mind. We need to give, not take. We need to be givers, and that's what we do. Some of you find it obnoxious, probably, that every week before the offering time, we make that a little announcement to our visitors and guests. We ask them not to give, but there's a reason behind that. That's not how it works. 
If someone is visiting, if someone's not a part of this body, part of this membership, then the financial burden is not on our visitors. The financial burden is not on people outside of the community. Now, I know a lot of Christians who are like, absolutely, I agree with that. And there's members of this church right now who agree with that. We should not ask the people out there to support us financially. But at the same time, some of you may not realize that means that the burden falls on us, <laughs> those of us who are members of the church. We carry that burden. We carry that responsibility. We cannot be takers. We must be givers. Another misconception about the church is they're just looking for us to volunteer, right? I don't want to connect with the church. They're going to want me to volunteer. They're going to want me to serve them in some capacity. I don't want to be a part of the church. They're going to want my time. They're going to want my energy. They're just going to ask me to volunteer. Well, again, that's valid. It takes volunteers to run all the ministries of a church, doesn't it? I mean, you look at us. We've got one full-time staff member, two part-time staff members, and a whole bunch of volunteers. It takes volunteers to run the ministries of the church. Absolutely. But where should we get those volunteers? From inside the church, not from outside. Not asking members of the community at large to volunteer and serve us. No, 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 no. That's not how it should work. We should be serving them. We should be giving. We should be serving, right? So we've got to counteract these misconceptions about church. Instead of takers, we need to be givers. Instead of serving us, we need to serve other people and serve one another. Now, this whole idea of serving people, of serving people outside of the community, that's very important. But just a few weeks ago, I sat down and I had a conversation with, with Joy, who's the director of our community ministry. And we talked about this, this kind of dual thing that we're doing here, this very important thing that we're doing of serving needs outside of the community, but also serving needs inside of our church community. That's important as well. Church should be a people where we're serving one another. We're going to see that as we look at today's passage, serving one another. Yes, we're serving people outside of our community, but we have to take care of one another as well. And so we need to be seen as givers, as servers. We give, we serve. What's another misconception that exists about church? is that we collect, that we collect. What are churches about? They just want to get you somewhere. We want to collect people on a Sunday morning, fill up a bunch of pews so they can listen to me talk at them. That's what we're all about, right? That's the success of a church. Let me collect some people, collect, collect, collect. It's like, no, no, we're not collectors. A church, we're supposed to be senders. We have to give. We have to serve. We have to send. That's not what it's about. I mean, to have somebody show up at a worship service on a Sunday morning, that's fantastic. That's not, that's not the end. That's not the final win. We need to be able to give and to serve and to send. Our very first Sunday as a church, a few of you were there for that. Our very first Sunday as a church was a Be the Church Sunday. There was no sermon. There was no song. It was a service project. And we went out as a small group, and we did a little service project at this rehab center. And let me tell you, it went terribly. It was a giant mess, right? We showed up at this place to paint, and like the walls were falling apart, and they were dirty. He's like, we need to like fix the walls before we can paint anything. And it just was hours and hours, and I don't know how much we got done. But guess what? It set the tone for who we are as a church. Let's go out. Let's get messy. Let's serve. Send people away. Send people out to serve. We do send people. We do give. We do, we do serve. It's important things to do. I mean, we've got two missionaries from our church. We've got Kathy. We've got Corey. We're sending them to Kenya. Adios, guys. Have a good time, right? You're going with our blessing. You're going with our prayers. It's fa- I don't think they speak Spanish in Kenya, but go. We're going, right? And we're so excited to send, and we send people domestically on mission trips. We have a history of doing that, but not just that, to send people into our own 
community, again, that community ministry that we have. We're serving one another, but we're also serving needs in the community. We send people. Our first summer as a church, again, I'm being so reminiscent about our time together. Our first summer as a church. So we did that service project. It was our very first Sunday. And then in July, we had a team of volunteers, and we sent them to Prospect Park to help with the 4th of July parade. They have a little event there in Park Square. If you guys, you know what I'm talking about? You guys been there? Yeah, they have an event there. And guess what? We faced, I should say, I faced some backlash for that, right? Come on, that doesn't count as a service thing. What are you doing? That's not a ministry. You're just showing up and cooking hot dogs. By the way, cooking hot dogs over that hot grill, that's, come on, you tell me that's not a service project? This isn't like a Christian thing that Christians should be doing. Oh, we're meeting a need that needs to be met. We're meeting a need that we're able to meet. And so, yeah, we'll send people to Kenya. We'll also send them all the way to Prospect Park, right? We'll send them. Send. So we need to give. We need to serve. We need to send. This is what church is supposed to be about. We're not takers. We're not people seeking, you know, after volunteers. No, it's not about that. We're not collectors. No, we have to give. We have to serve. We have to send. You know what? Let's say that together, shall we? Give, serve, send. You got it? Ready? We have to give, serve, send. That was fantastic. That's the best we've ever done. We got that right the first time. Yeah. I'm not even going to ask you to do it again because we did it so well the first time. That's what we need to be about. Give, serve, and send. And we take a look at the very first community of believers, that very first church. We're going to see a lot of these characteristics in that first church. And again, I made reference to it earlier, but I really would encourage you to spend some time in the book of Acts. If you view yourself as a member of a local church, if you view yourself as a member of this church, read this book of Acts. All right, at least the first eight chapters. Get in there and read this book and see what church used to be like and what church should be like. Taking a look at Acts 2, you have a passage from Acts 2 in your bulletin. I'm going to see here again. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. If you remember, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's explaining to the people who had gathered what had happened and who Jesus is and what he's all about, that Jesus is that Messiah that we've been waiting for. So I'm going to pick up with verse 37. That's that fun verse. When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts. They were pierced to the hearts. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. You need to change. You need to transform. You need to become something new. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. I love that word, pleaded. I love that word, pleaded. Thinking back to some of the criticism that I've received over the years, and there's been a lot, and that's just how life goes. You get criticized, deal with it, right? One of the things that, uh, my preaching style has been criticized. Oh, you don't just sit there, you don't teach the Bible verse by verse. Why are you preaching like that? Well, I'm preaching like this. Pleading. That's what preaching should be. Pleading with people. Making a case for something. That's what you see Paul do. It's what you see Peter do. It's what you see Jesus do, by the way. Pleading. Making a case. So there's Peter pleading. And maybe he didn't sound as eloquent as some of their rabbis that they were used to hearing, but he's pleading with them. He's pleading, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the first church. This is what it looked like. Here is their programs, okay? Here's the function. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's stop there. Does that describe you? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Now, the apostle, that word apostle, you know, it means sent one, one sent, okay? And so we believe that Jesus had his disciples, and then he sent them into the world. That's what an apostle is. He sent them in, so they're all gone. They're all in heaven now, right? So we don't have the apostles anymore, but we have their teachings recorded in the New Testament, in this book, okay? So they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Hey, that's a church word I know. To fellowship. What is fellowship? That's a, that's a, that's a question worth, worth asking. What is fellowship? It's having this common bond in the Spirit. Now, you can have a big fellowship event. You can have a big 10th anniversary party, and that's fun. You spend some time and get to know each other. That's, that's, that's fantastic. But fellowship can be simple, too. Just to be together. You know, this, this kind of proximity ministry, this presence of being together. My goodness. Oh, we need this. We need this so much. Two years of pandemic and being afraid to gather and being hesitant to give each other hugs and handshakes, like fellowship, to be in it together, right? That's the idea behind it. We have this common bond in the Spirit. We're in it together, fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So a lot of us automatically think about you know, celebrating communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper as the breaking of bread. And yes, absolutely, we should be about that. But also the, just the simple act of sharing a meal with each other, right? Now, if you try to gather 3,000 people and share a meal, that's going to be complicated. But to have people who are part of that body meet together, and, and a lot of you are doing this, sharing your homes, opening up your homes, and sharing a meal together, that meant something back in these days, in those days. It meant something. That was, a, that was like a, a real intimate experience. Can I use that word? You know what I mean by that. It was a real connection to sit and share a meal with somebody. It's a prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This was an unprecedented time of miracles performed through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. And people would see these miracles, they would interpret them as signs pointing to something. They would see these things and say, wow, what's going on here? I believe, and I don't know how you feel, but I believe that the Holy Spirit still performs miracles and signs, big old signs and some, some tiny, little, tiny little miracles. But if we're too cynical, we can look right past those signs, those wonders. Verse 44 all the believers were together and had everything in common. All, oh, all? 3,000. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That sounds a lot like a cult to me. What are we doing here, right? You're just going to share everything? What's going on? No, they were, they were sharing. It explains it. Let's continue reading. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So here's this idea. It's like, okay, you come into this movement, you're part of this church thing now, and you realize, I have something. I have funds. 
I have resources. And my brothers and sisters who are part of this movement with me, some of them don't. So I'm going to sell what I have, and I'm going to share what I have. Whoa! They are taking care of one another. This is what a family does. Whether that family is made up of of three people or 3,000, this is what a family does. We take care of each other. That's what they were doing. Selling needs, giving to selling what they had, giving to those who were in need every day, continuing to meet together in the temple courts. That must be a typo. I think it should say meeting for one hour a week in a church building, right? Is that what it should say? No, it wasn't just one experience, not just one time on a Sunday. But they met together in the temple courts, yes, in a big open public space, sure, absolutely. And they broke bread in their homes. Did I just say that with a Delco accent? Home? Did I just say that? I'm really, I'm listening to my Delco. My Delco's coming out, right? Lived there for a long time. They were in each other's homes, and they went to the Poconos together. They were in each other's homes, and together, with glad and sincere hearts, praising and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What you see is a group of people taking care of each other, devoting themselves to learning from the apostles, the ones that Jesus had sent, breaking bread together, meeting the needs they were able to meet, spending time with each other. Now, by the way, these were real people. This isn't some kind of fairy tale. These were real people who had real lives and real jobs and real bills to pay, just like us. And yet they found the time to be devoted to one another, devoted to fellowship. It was a priority for them. How does that compare to us and our experience as a church? Oh, man, everybody has their pandemic stories. Everybody has their griefs over what was lost. My goodness gracious. But I felt like, oh, before the pandemic, we had some momentum going, and we had people meeting together, and we had small groups going crazy, and we had people showing up at a worship service. Oh, we need to get that back. This is important. This is what it means to be a church. Think of it this way. Talk about church as a family. Think of church as a team, right? Think of church as a team. If you don't show up, <laughs> if you're not at the practices, if you're not at the games, then you ain't a part of the team, right? We need to prioritize spending that time together, taking care of one another, getting to know one another. Oh my goodness, is there anything more terrifying than getting to know a stranger? Oh, what if this person's weird? What if they think I'm weird? Or what if we have different ideas? Just, just get to know each other. I really hope to see some of this happen at our anniversary party. Get to know somebody that's just like a stranger that sits on the other side of the sanctuary from you, right? Get to know each other. We're friendly overall, right? Overall. This was important. But look at the result of this, okay? Verse 47, praising God, enjoying favor. Enjoying the favor. Say it again. Enjoying the favor. There we go of all the people. What kind of reputation did this church have in the community, community at large? What kind of reputation? Ah, those church people, they're so weird. No, they enjoyed the favor. People outside of the community looked in and said, look at these people. They're taking care of each other. They're taking care of one another and making sure there are no needs. They're selling stuff up to care for the poor. 
They're meeting together. They have this fellowship, this common spirit. Look at those people. I want in. Whatever they got going on, I want to be a part of it. I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about doctrine. I don't know anything about anything, but I just want to be a part of whatever it is they're doing. That's how people felt. They were drawn into this community. Is that what churches are like today? Did you just say our churches? God bless you. You win a donut today. Thank you very much. Let's close in prayer. That's great. I love it. I love it. That's what we're going for, right? This is what we're going for. We want to, and yes, I would agree that to some extent, yes, we have enjoyed favor with the people around us, but we've got to lean into that. That's how it works, to draw people into this community and then say, well, it's because of Jesus. This is why we are the way that we are. This is why we take care of each other. It's because of Jesus, and to introduce people to Jesus, that's how this works. Jesus said to his disciples, people are going to know that you're mine People are going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Our internal community, the way that we take care of each other, becomes a reflection of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Are we enjoying the favor of our surrounding community? I hope so. Let's keep going in this direction. Let's keep moving in this direction. And so next week, we are doing a Be the Church Sunday. This is why. This is an opportunity for you as a member of a local church, for you as a part of Hope Community Church, to go and increase favor. Okay, that's your goal. Go serve somebody. Go love somebody. Now, there are so many different things that you can do. You can take on a big project, and some of you have ideas already. That's fantastic. Lean into it. Go for it. Absolutely. But this is the goal. People should look at us favorably, not as takers and collectors and all. No, 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 favorably. They should look at us and want in. Take advantage of this opportunity. What are you going to do next Sunday to increase the favor, to gain favor with our community? This is what we need to be about. And the key word in that sentence is we. We, we are the church. One of our misconceptions about church nowadays is that church, are you ready for this? Is that church is a they. Well, that's their church, and I go to that church, and that's what they do at that church over there. And I appreciate what they are doing, but that's more of a them thing. It's not really much, it's not a me thing. I mean, I just go there, but that's them, right? No, 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 right? When you go shopping, that's a they, right? When you go to Target, When you go to Marshall's, right? When you go in there, that's they. It's their store, it's their business, it's their company. No, 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 church isn't a they. Church is a we. You know how weird that is to hear someone who's been a member of this church for like six, seven, eight years say, well, that's what that church does. That's what they do. No, 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 no. Church is a collective. Church is a we. And collectively, we need to continue to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to devote ourselves the fellowship. And we need to take care of one another and the needs around us. And when we do that, when we live into what church is supposed to be, we will become a truly magnetic community. Let's pray on that. Jesus, I thank you for the victories 
I thank you for the successes. I thank you for the minds that have been changed and the hearts that have been changed. I thank you for how we have been able to live out what it means to be an Acts 2 church. But Father God, I also acknowledge that there's so much more to do. There's so much more ways that we can expand our service and giving. And there's just that always going to be that next step, God. And so, Father, bring us into that next step of community. Allow us to become a people that reflect your character. Allow us to be a people that, that just are thought well of by our surrounding neighbors. Even the people who don't want, want anything to do with you, Jesus, let them see us and be drawn to you through us. Let us be your people. Let us be givers and servers and senders. And let us take care of one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.